Father, we thank you for this day of worship, and uh, we just continue in worship now, Lord, uh, thanking you for who you are, for what you have done. You're the giver of our lives, each and every one of us here today, made by you and made for you, God. Lord, each of us desperately needy for you, all of us broken by our own choice of sin, turning away from you, Lord, knowing, Lord, that we would be lost and left without you not for what you have done for us and your son. And so today we come thanking you with hearts of gratitude and joy, thanking you, God, for your love and grace in our lives, telling you, Lord, that our only hope is not in who we are, what we have done or could ever do. Our hope is in you, God, and your saving grace and power for all who believe, for you sent your only son, Jesus, to live for our righteousness, to die for the forgiveness of our sins, and to be raised for our newness of life so that all who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we just pray that you increase our faith today in you. Increase our hope in you, God. You are our hope. Thank you, God, for your living word. And we pray today that you would allow your word and your Holy Spirit that is alive and well in all who believe to hear from you today, God, in ways that point us toward you, in ways that Help us to know you more in ways that bring glory from our lives, God, and for your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see y'all. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here. If you're new today, special welcome to you. So glad that you've joined us. If you got your Bible, I encourage you to get them open this morning to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And today, uh, we're going to be camping out in chapter 16. We are... In our second week of our series, Your Name, and we are in this series with a single-minded pursuit, and that is uh, to know God more. Uh, I have said last week, and I have said over and over in our church, that our greatest passion and purpose in life is to know God. Not to know Him, like to know about Him with our heads, but to know Him in our experience, in our, in our lives. And indeed, this is... Uh, what Jesus prayed for us. He, in John 17, prayed. I pray that they would uh, have eternal life, and this is eternal life. Eternal life is in knowing you, God, the only true and living God, and in, and in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's why Paul in Philippians 3, which we looked at last week, he says, I count everything as lost in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. In other words, he says there is nothing better in life. After listing all of his accomplishments, his pedigree, his background, he goes, look, I count it all as loss in comparison to this, knowing Jesus. The surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus and growing in my relationship with him, this is the guiding passion of my heart and the guiding purpose of my life. And this is what God wants for each of us to really hunger and thirst to know God more. Not to know about Him, but to really know Him. How much do we know Him? And how much does our heart hunger to know Him more? That's what this series is all about. It's called Your Name because what I'm going to do this summer is walk through the names of God. And you probably remember me mentioning last week that the names of God in the Bible are significant. They help us to know about a person's character, about about who they are, something about their, their value and something that speaks deeply of, of, of their nature. 
And the same is true with God. Many of us don't know because the English language doesn't afford us sometimes the, the opportunity to really understand that behind the word God or Lord, there are significance in names. God reveals that he has many names. And, and it's not to confuse us as to what to call him, but it's to help show us the beauty of his character, the splendor of his worth. It's to help give us a glimpse, a name at a time, into his heart and into his ways. Every time we see a name, we see an opportunity, an invitation for us to know God more. That's why throughout the scriptures, we have learned that the names are significant. I asked you last week to work on memorizing two verses. Hopefully you've started. Yes? No? Maybe so? Um, Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In other words, our trust is not in ourselves or anything that, that we could do. Our trust is squarely in the person and the promise and the power of God. And Proverbs 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. God, uh, he himself, and his name's reflective of, of who he is, uh, he himself is our confidence, is our hope, is our refuge. He is our joy. So, this morning, some of y'all got tricked last week. I heard some comments. Some of them were first person. Some of them were second and third person folks. You can talk to me. Don't be scared. I heard some comments that say, man, he really tricked us last week. We showed up for the Names of God series. He didn't even tell us a name. So, you're right. It was all introduction. This morning, though, happy to tell you, we're going to look at the first name. Anybody excited? Woo! So, Genesis chapter 16. I want to introduce you to the uh, first name of God that we're going to cover together. And in covering this, we're going to, it's actually a compound name that we're going to look at here, and, and we'll get to see kind of uh, two and how they work together. But I want to introduce you to a character, one of the lesser known characters of the scriptures. Uh, her name is Hagar. And actually in the story of Hagar, which is kind of uh, put right in the middle of a story of of what God was doing with his people Israel and in calling Abraham by faith to, to move toward this land of promise and to, to receive from God what he would have to give. In the midst of this, in Genesis chapter 16, we are introduced to a, a lady whose name is Hagar. And this morning, we're going to look at her story. One of the things that I love about the names of God is that each and every name of God is introduced to us in the context of story. God reveals his name to people who are just like us. And by looking at their stories and their circumstance and looking at how they come to know God by his revelation of himself, we can identify with them and also come to know God in deeper ways. So this morning, Hagar's story, Genesis chapter 16, everybody there? I read from the English Standard Version. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. 
So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to, to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bier Lahoi Roe. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Uh, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is God's word. This morning, we're going to look at our first name of God in this series, and the name, if you've got something to write notes with, I always encourage you to track along and try to follow along with notes. I love teaching the Word of God, and I love seeing our church be hungry to learn the Word of God in a way that we're not just sitting through sermons on Sundays, but we're really hungry to understand God's Word, and then more importantly, to experience God in the ways that He's revealed Himself in His Word, to, to be doers and not just hearers. The name that's revealed in this passage, as it is in the original language in the Hebrew, is, I'll put it on the screen, El, how, how do you think you pronounce this? 
Oh, man. Where is Robbie? Where is Robbie? We got... Okay, I think it's going to be bad. Just a pause for just a second. My computer's open. If you want to go save them as JPEGs and try to reimport. The font, I'm just realizing, is, gonna, is, is potentially going to be catastrophic. Um, and we, had a, we, had a, we have some technological issues uh, last week, and we thought we had corrected them. But he's going to work on it. Maybe we could get it better. Okay? It's fine. I still know God's word. I don't need the screen. Okay? But I would like the screen to help you guys. Okay? So, by the way, we're just a big family here. If some of y'all are like, does he stop in the middle of sermons like this every week? Occasionally, yes. Um, we're just a big family. It's all good. We fed you cereal so we could keep you longer. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. You can see it. The font's fine here. El Roy. Um, if, you're, if you're curious about pronunciation, you, if you're from Georgia, you'd have no problem pronouncing this. Because you'd look at it and you'd say, Roy. Right? El Roy. Um, Hannah also says it like that from Arkansas. But that's how you pronounce it. Um, and it, it. And you find this word right at the end of the passage. I'll, I'll tell you where it comes from, just so that you can see it in your Bibles. Uh, in verse 13 is where it comes. Where Hagar, as she encounters the Lord, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. In her language... She is speaking, you are El Roi. You are the God of seeing. So, this morning, what I would like to do is help you understand a little bit more about this word. Now, I told you it's a compound word, okay? The L here is a shortened way, it's, it's an abbreviated way of indicating one of the foundational names of God which I also want to help you understand this morning. In, in fact, it's the first name that we see in the Bible of God, Genesis chapter 1, 1, in the beginning, God, okay? Elohim is, is what El stands for in the El Roy. The El stands for Elohim. Now, Elohim is the most used name for God in all of the Scripture, 2,570, I believe, is, is what the number is. Um, that's how many times it's used. And really, if you, even the word Elohim uh, has some components that I want you to understand. The L in the word Elohim basically means strong, mighty, prominent. Okay? In, the basis of that word in the Hebrew language is an indication of strength and of power and of might. In fact, like when you get to passage like Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, which we often quote around Christmas time, uh, his name shall be called, you remember this passage? And it says, uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God. That's this word, L, okay? Mighty God. What a mighty God we serve. Anybody remember that from kids? And you do your like motions like you're like lifting weights. What a mighty God we serve. It takes a lot of imagination to, to picture muscles up here on me, right? Um, angels down before him. Nation, heaven and earth adore him. That's it. What a mighty God. Y'all don't leave me up here like this. Y'all know this song. Okay. 
mighty God. That's the indication of the word El. He is strong, the strong one. Now, the interesting thing is about the Ohim is, what ends up happening with Ohim is, it actually is the masculine plural form of words, okay? So, what you have is that God is the strong one, but he, he he's uses the masculine plural masculine plural form to indicate part of who he is, which I think is just amazing uh, because what we know is from the beginning of creation, you remember how in Genesis he says, let us make man in our image. Y'all remember that? From the beginning, we know like from Colossians 1 that Jesus is before all creation. John chapter 1 affirms us too. Actually, everything that was created was created by Jesus and for Jesus. Y'all remember that? Genesis 1, we also see the Spirit of God hovering over the, over the unformed substance and the water. So what we know is that we have a God, and He is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and from the beginning we see this mighty, mighty God who is three, but interestingly, in almost every usage of Elohim, though it is masculine, plural form with every adjective and verb with a few exceptions it uses the singular I your Elohim says or he asks us to trust him so he uses the singular so it's, it's just affirming in the very name itself this three in one I just think it's amazing but to really understand Elohim you know, and, and really, if you think about it, um, in all of Genesis, this is the primary way that God revealed himself. They knew, Abraham knew God as Elohim, okay? And if you think about what that implied about God, what they knew about God, like I said, uh, it is used over and over in the scriptures in Genesis, like just from Genesis 1-1 through chapter 2, verse 4, 35 times uh, this, this word is used. And it helps us understand it contains the reality of God's creative and governing power. It helps us to see how great and glorious He is. And it gives us a reason to trust to be confident in his power and in his in his control. So if you think about um, Elohim, you, you're thinking about here's a God who brought everything into being. Everything that we know into being, being out of nothing. Who, who out of chaos created order, who, who's a cultivating God, who makes the world, he makes things that have not been seen to, to be seen. Paul talks about Elohim as he describes to the folks on Mars Hill and Acts that God is a God who made the world and everything in it. He possesses and rules over the heavens and the earth. His presence cannot be defined to a single space, and his power needs no man's help. He is the great and glorious God. He is wonderful. 
in all of his ways. And from his very power has come everything that you know, including you yourself. He is your Elohim. Does that make sense? So, let's go back to Genesis 16. So, the first thing, so El Roi, the El is indicating Elohim, okay? That's what it's indicating. So, that helps us to understand part of the compound name. Now, Roi is the second part. And that um, indicates simply this. It means seeing me or gazing upon me. Seeing me or gazing upon me. Such that when you when you combine Elohim with with Roi, what you have is God reveals to her one of his names as she calls it back to him. You are the great and mighty, powerful God who is seeing me, who is gazing upon me. Does that make sense? I think there's a slide on the next one. You can see this. Nope. Never mind. You can go back. There it is. But what I would write as a maybe a a literal translation is this. The mighty God who sees me. That's, that's how I would understand one of God's fundamental names. You are the mighty God who sees me. This is one of God's names. In other words, this is just who he has always been. This is who he is today, and this is who he forever will be. He is a God defined in this. He is the strongest of strong, the greatest of great, the most glorious of glorious. And at the same moment, he is ever gazing upon me. Here we have first glimpse of understanding of this beautiful and fundamental aspect of the character and nature of God. So, I want to talk through Hagar's story. Because like I said, it's not just a vocabulary lesson that Hagar's learning. This is a real woman. She's faced with a real life. She's living as you and I are living. And God reveals this name to her in the midst of her story, in the midst of her life, in a way that radically transforms her understanding of who he is. And I want us to look at not just the vocabulary of what does the name mean, but I want us to look at that in light of her story and in light of ours. Because what I really have had to wrestle with as I have grown in my relationship with God is what, it's not just Oh, cool. I know about a new name of God. No, that's not the point. The point is not to go quote Hebrew to your friends and act cool about that. The point is to allow us all to grow 
and our relationship with God and to experience him in new and intimate and wonderful ways, transformative ways. And so what I want to do this morning is to walk through some implications of, of just looking at Hagar's story, some implications for her and also for us this morning. Is that okay if we do that? So I want to start this morning and looking at the first implication that I see. And it's this. And I want to talk through a story to help us see this. But the first implication is, is this, that God keeps watch over us at all times. He pursues us when we try to run away. God keeps watch over us at all times and pursues us when we try to run away. If you look at um, Hagar's story, what we know is that God had promised Abraham and Sarah a son. Okay, If you didn't know that, that's, that's context for the story. And instead of believing God for his promise and waiting upon him to fulfill it, they come up with a terrible, I mean a terrible idea. They concoct a plan to where instead of waiting on the Lord to do it, they think, well, we'll just try to do it ourselves. And because Sarah is old in age and she's already written herself off as unable to have a child, the only thing they can think of is, well, maybe it's a good idea for Abraham to go and have marry a second wife and to have a relationship with her in a way that maybe through this lady who's working for us, maybe, maybe that'll be the son that God promised you, Abraham. Good idea or bad idea? Bad idea times about 100 million, right? Terrible idea. Sexual abuse. It, I mean, I would probably call it that. <laughs> uh, I, I'm looking at it going, man, because here, here Hagar is probably excited in some ways by the indication that as soon as she conceives, she shows contempt. She's almost excited to have a new elevated position in the family, to be more of an equal, to be treated with greater value. I don't know what was going on in her emotions, but in, in some way, like, She's involved in this, but also a victim of this. And it's just a heartbreaking story. And what makes it even more heartbreaking is not just Abraham and Sarah's sin for him to go and sleep with a woman that's, that's not what God intended for him to, to be doing and how the child would be coming and to taking her like that. But then on top of that, after sin, what, and, and this so often happens, what, what was once thought to be love, which turned into the kind of lust, then turns into loathing, right? And, and Sarah gets angry because she's frustrated that Hagar showing her contempt, and she's also probably a bit jealous, and she's going to Abraham saying, this is your fault, buddy. And he's looking back at her and saying, no, well, I don't, you're, the, you're in charge of Sarah, you do something about it, and then the decision is made. Instead of dealing in forgiveness or in healing ways, restorative ways, they just decide to, it says in verse 6, 
Sarah dealt harshly with her. She comes down on her even harder. And what ends up happening is, what does Hagar do? It says in verse 6, what does she do? She runs away. She goes running. She fled, it says in the scripture. And it says that she was found, in verse 7, by a spring of water in the wilderness. She didn't run just a little bit away. She, she bailed. She ends up in a desert place as an outcast, suffering at the sins of another, left to deal with the consequences all alone. You can just imagine the hurt. Some of y'all have been, have been there, have been in these places. The hurt, the confusion, the deep pain, the anguish, rejection. Was it something she did? What was going to happen? What, what does this mean for her? What does this mean for her child? And she runs. <laughs> she runs. And it's interesting in our lives, we can get to a point where we run from God. We definitely get to a point where we run away from our circumstance, don't we? <laughs> but we also can get to a point where we think we just need to run from God. We just need to run get away. But one of the things that God does in Hagar's life is it says the angel of the Lord, which I believe based on the context of this passage and the way that he's speaking, it is the presence of God himself meets her. Where does he meet her? In the place that she ran away to. He goes and shows up and he says, uh, Hagar, Look at the questions that he asked. Um, whenever God asks questions, by the way, it's not that he needs to know the answers. He already knows the answers. He's asking her to think about what he's asking. It's a reason for her to think. Hagar, where did you come from? And where are you going? In other words, Hagar, what do you think you're doing right now? Hagar goes to the wilderness to meet, I mean, excuse me, God goes to the wilderness to meet Hagar. And I just love it because it helps us know something about the Lord, that we cannot outrun the Spirit of God. Did you know that? You just cannot outrun the Spirit of God. Psalm chapter 139, one of my favorite psalms. The psalmist says this, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted. You are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, oh, Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go to flee from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol in the depths of the earth, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell on the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even as the darkness is dark, not dark to you, the night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than sand. I awake and I am still with you. Do you love this song? I love this song. Because there have been days in my life, friends, where I have been prone to run far. Y'all ever run far? Where you just say, I just got to get away. I just got to get out of here. We, we tend to try to escape and sometimes we think that we're going to outrun God but we see in for instance like Luke chapter 15 you know Jesus is the shepherd who will leave the 99 to go after the one who is lost and I praise God that part of what he's showing Hagar and us today is that they, there is no place that we can outrun him Part of what he's saying to us, and that I am Elohim Roi, I am El Roy, is this. I am a God who's going to seek you out until I find you. Some, of, some people love the book, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, but some people don't know that there's a prequel to that. It's actually called God's Pursuit of Man. And I will just tell you, that's an indication that in this, before we first have a thought about God, God has a thought about us. We don't have a chance apart from God's sovereign initiative in our lives to redeem us by his grace. He pursues us. And I am so thankful. I'm so thankful that in the desert place of life, God is there. God is there. Where can I go to flee from your presence? Where can I go to run? The answer is, I can't go anywhere because God is there. His name is El Roi. He's the God who sees me. Amen? Implication one, God keeps watch over us at all times. He pursues us when we try to run away. Implication number two. Man, I just, before we move, golly, before we move on, some of us, can easily feel in life abandoned. And I just want you to know that God does not abandon you. Okay? Implication two. Implication two. God hears and sees us when we cry out to him in prayer. He is able to answer. God hears and sees us when we cry out to him in prayer. And he is able to 
In verse 7, we see that the Lord finds Hagar by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he says, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where you come from, where you're going? She said, I'm fleeing, fleeing for my mistress, Sarah. The Lord says, return to your mistress and submit to her. And then the angel of the Lord says to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that it cannot be numbered for multitude. And then confirms in verse 11 that she's pregnant and she will bear a son. Obviously, this is one of, this is Hagar's crying out to the Lord in the wilderness for her own life, but also for the life of the one within her. And one of the things that God does is he says, I hear your prayer. I am not inattentive to your cry. I hear you, Hagar. I hear you. I see you and I hear you. And I have the power to answer. One of the beautiful things about the Lord is he shows us this. He connects his seeing with answers to prayer in other places. Psalm chapter 121 verse 3 says this. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. I have a four-year-old. I remember when we had Caroline, one of the th- I-, I was freaked out to go to sleep. Any other parent ever remember the time that they got freaked out to go to sleep? Why do we freak out about going to sleep? The, I think there's a good reason. is because when you love a child that much, you always want to be attentive to their needs. I would wake up in the middle of the night sometimes going, oh, man, did I roll over on her? Oh, man, like, did she stop breathing and I didn't hear her? Oh, man, the drool is like my, my pillow is drenched, which means Jesus could have come back and somebody might not have been able to wake me up. I was sleeping that hard. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever sleep that hard? I, I pray that I will hear the Lord when he comes, okay? It was just a, a joke. It was a bad one. But I wake up from such a deep sleep, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I forgot I have a child in this house, and I've got to take care of I'm a faulty parent, and we, re- we recognize our inabilities when we're, when we're parents of children, right? And it pushes us to trust the Lord. I'm so thankful that we have a God who never slumbers or sleeps. Who never gets so drowsy that he's inattentive to us. Who never, who, you never have to worry about your perfect heavenly father being inattentive to you. His eyes are always upon you. He's always listening to you when you cry. He is perfectly attentive to your every single need. Amen. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, as he's teaching about prayer, you know, he says, when you pray, don't pray loud. Don't think you've got to get up in front of the, the room and pray with a loud voice and go on forever praying because somehow by your volume or your length of prayer that God hears you. No, when you pray, go in the secret place. Go into the closet and pray. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your father who sees in secret. Your father who sees in secret. What do you think Jesus is thinking of? Your El Roi who sees, your mighty God who sees you. Here's your cry and he will reward you. You see? 
one of the things that God is saying to Hagar is, Hagar, God sees and he knows, he hears and he, he sees your prayer and he is powerful to answer. Friends, I just, some of us, when we pray, we don't pray with confidence that God sees and hears. And I just want us to, to begin to learn to live in faith on the basis of the name of God. He is a God who sees. This is fundamental to who he is. He always has been, he is today, and he always will be. Which means that when you pray, you can be confident that he hears and sees your request. And he has the power to answer. You can pray to your Elohim, Roi, your mighty God who sees me. What a joy. And let's not tire in going to God with our hearts. Let's not tire. Implication number three. Implication number three is this. God sees what we are concerned about. And he cares about it. We are never hidden to him. Not only does he see us. This is speaking more to our anxiety. Not so much to our, our, our value but to the troubling things that often concern us. God sees those things as well that we are concerned about. And he cares about us and those, those things. We are not hidden to him. Hagar learned this as God says he's going to answer her prayer by allowing her to bear a son whose name will be Ishmael. Because, it says, look at verse 11, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The Lord has listened to your affliction. Psalm chapter 33, verses 13 and 19 says this. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. In other words, God's saying, in the midst of your circumstances where you feel anxious, where you feel prone to doubt, where you wonder what's going to happen, what's next. Not only can you know that God sees and cares about you, but he sees and cares about your circumstances. And your, your help and hope is not, does not need to rest in, 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 in the psalm. It talks about the king's army or the king's strength or the mighty war horse. In other words, please don't make the mistake of thinking that you need to go elsewhere 
to figure out how to find help and find how to find hope in your time of need. Don't make that mistake. You do not need to go anywhere else because you have a God who sees you and your circumstances. And he is a God who sees in a way that he's ready to give help and hope for all who trust in him. Trust me. I am your El Rohi, your God who sees you. He knows and he's concerned. You just got to think about your own life. I mean, what are the circumstances right now in your life that give you anxiety? What are the circumstances right now in your life that are keeping you up at night or causing you to fret? Believe that God sees you and he sees what you're going through. He hears and knows of your affliction. And he's a God who has never, ever failed those who put their hope in him. He is faithful, and he will see you through. Implication number four. Implication number four is this, that God is aware when others harm and sin against us. He is a righteous judge, and we can trust him. Hagar um, is in a bad, bad place. And one of the things that God wants Hagar to do is to recognize that God not only sees where she is, but he sees where she's come from. Many of us have hurts that are deep in our hearts and lives. And many of those hurts aren't always from things that we have done, but things that others have done against us. And one of the things that God wants Hagar to do is to trust him not only to deal with where she is today, but to also deal with where she's come from. To deal with the healing and hope that would be needed for her to continue to stand in faith and confidence in God today. God wants her to know that he wasn't blind to what has happened to her. His eyes are open and he sees. But also for her to know that to deal with that, she's got to not primarily deal first with just righting those wrongs herself. She's got to entrust herself to God and allow God to right those wrongs for her. You see what I'm saying? She has an opportunity to learn the Lord in a new way. God doesn't see as a bystander. He sees as one who moves in to offer grace and help. Psalm 121, verses 5 through 8. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. 
The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God keeps us under the refuge of his wings. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, we read that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. The eyes of the Lord, God is looking, God is watching, God is waiting for all who put their trust in him. He gives strong support to us for those whose heart is blameless toward him. I just want you to know for those who are being I've suffered I'll just speak in a personal way. There have been things that have happened to me in my life that have been very hard for me to deal with. In the last series that we had, we had many people from our church open up. If you haven't heard those testimonies, you should go back and listen to them. Open up about the fact that many of us have had things happen to us in our lives that are extremely hard for us to deal with. But the first step is knowing that God is attentive to us. The first step is coming to a place that we recognize how broken we are, but also that the only way to to ever experience healing and hope is to embrace that God cares about me. That God, sometimes I get in a place where I sometimes will believe a lie, which is that nobody knows what I've been through. Nobody understands the pain that I've experienced. Nobody has seen the things that have gone on. But that is not true because God's name is El Roi. He's the God who sees, and he also is the God who understands. And he's the God who invites us to experience his presence, presence of hope and healing. Number five. Implication five is this, that God knows everything about us. We cannot hide our hearts, our thoughts, or our actions from him. We cannot hide our hearts, our thoughts, or our actions from him. God, with amazing insight into Hagar, not only meets her there, not only speaks to the distress that's going on in her heart that she hasn't even spoken, but also speaks to the future of what's going to happen with her son. God is a God who knows it all. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10 says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God sees us. And this means that there is nothing hidden from God. This also means that Abraham and Sarah are not going to be able to hide from God. You understand this, right? Sometimes when we are caught up in sin, we can think somehow that we're going to hide from God. But I will tell you, there is going to be a day of judgment. There is forgiveness to those who fear the Lord. But for those who don't fear the Lord, there is only 
that to be feared on the day of judgment because God will issue righteous judgment because it's righteous in that everything he judges is something he has seen. Which is why we so desperately need to put our trust and hope and the only one who can save Jesus Christ and plea for forgiveness, not just for the eternal forgiveness that comes, but also for the daily forgiveness and cleansing that comes as we call out to him, right? He sees there's nothing in your thoughts, in your heart, or in your actions that is hidden from him. There's nothing. He knows everything about us. Some of us this morning may need to get to a place where we bring things to the surface that God already knows. The very idea of confession literally means to agree with God. It doesn't mean to bring something new to God. God already knows those things that need to be confessed in your heart and life. Confession means to come to a place where you agree with God about what he already sees and knows. And the Bible says for all who confess their sin that he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us of unrighteousness. Thank you, God, that because of Jesus, we're not treated on the basis of sin, but on the basis of grace. The last implication is this. That we are called to submit to our powerful, seeing, and merciful God in every situation of our hearts and lives. We are called to submit to our powerful, seeing, and merciful God in every situation of our hearts and lives. One of the hardest things for me to deal with of this passage is the reality that God comes to her and says, I want you to go back. I don't know about y'all, but that's a little hard. Anybody else feel that tension? I want you to go back. And I'm not saying this, this is definitely not an instruction for every single person for all of time. This is a specific situation where God is coming to Hagar and saying to Hagar, I see you, I hear you. I am concerned for you. I am powerful to help you. I will be a righteous judge who defends you. But Hagar, I'm telling you, for my plan to be fully worked out in your life, I am asking you to follow me and trust and obedience to where I lead you. And right now, where I want you to go is back. And it's going to be for your good. God's going to defend and protect her. It's going to be for her good. And it's going to resound in his glory even us sitting here today talking about it. But what, what Hagar has to learn is that there is a promise of blessing and mercy, but that promise is also tied to her obedience. You see? She, she's asked to submit, to entrust herself to God. And friends, we got to come to a place where we recognize that we don't have all the answers. Y'all know that, right? This is very hard for type A controlling people. When we're in situations and we're crying out to the Lord, some of us cry out to the Lord, but we don't really, really want to hear what God is going to say. And when he answers, we're going, mm, I think you heard my cry wrong, or mm, I, think you heard my, I think you're reading my circumstances wrong, because that's not, that's, that is not what I was, uh, I was asking for, Lord. 
God meets her, deals mercifully with her, but then leads her. And her responsibility is to trust and submit to him that he might bless her. And the same is true for ours. Psalm chapter 91. I'll close on this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. This is the promise. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, the the Elohim, strong and mighty God, he will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. But there's a response in knowing who God is. And what is the response? The response is this. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I, what? Trust. In other words, God, I'm recognizing who you are. I'm recognizing what you can do, and I'm recognizing your desire to bless and to hold and to keep me. So God, in this moment, I will not fight you. I will not resist you. I will not question you. I will not doubt you. God, in this moment, I will trust you, for you are the God who sees. You see? We are called to submit to him. This morning, as we close, I, you know... I just have a heart uh, for our church to embrace more of who God is. In, in these ways that Hagar met the Lord, we can meet the Lord today. These, these implications are not light. <laughs> they're, they're huge, and some of them are really heavy. But all of them are meant for our good. Because God longs, he really longs, for us to know him in these ways. I just want to ask this morning, you know, I don't know where you are. I know some of you. I'm, I, I know. I've been praying for some of you this week because I know enough about your circumstances that I know that there are, there are some ways right now in your life that you would be incredibly helped to call upon and to trust in the name of the Lord, El Roe, the God who speaks just knowing that we don't we can't run from God knowing that God doesn't slumber he's he's not indifferent to us he he values us and cares for us and his eye is upon you he pursues you in his love and grace he wants to meet you in your wilderness knowing that he cares about your circumstances that you're in knowing that right now he longs to be your help and your hope. But you got to let go of the horses you're clinging to, the armies you're depending upon, the strength in your hand to recognize and receive the hope that comes just from trusting him. I, I know that some of us have been hurt. And we feel sometimes like we, we keep everyone else and God at a distance because we just think there's no one who could possibly understand but it's just not true he saw it all and he comes to you to meet you with his redeeming love and grace I know some of us some of us are in sin nobody else knows it but you do and sometimes you do it in the place where you think God doesn't know it but let me tell you he knows it you're not serious about killing sin sin will be serious about killing you you don't need to think you can hide 
Sin is serious. And if this morning you're feeling the conviction of God because you know what's in your heart, you need to repent, to confess and agree with God about what he sees and what is offensive to him and come to him asking for forgiveness, cleansing, and grace. For all of us. For all of us. We just need to learn in a greater way to trust and submit to him. Not according to what I think or plan, but according to what you want, God. That's my heart. So let's pray this morning. In the areas God is speaking, let's just pray. Call out to the Lord. El Roi is his name. The mighty God who sees me. specific ways that we can pray for you this morning. There's prayer counselors in the back. I'm here at the front. If you want to know more about having a relationship with God and His Son, Jesus, please come and talk to us. If there's something specific going on in your life where you just need somebody to pray with you, to listen to you, to encourage and to help you, just come. Talk to one of us on the team. God is here. He sees you. Let's yield our hearts to Him. Yeah.